Hello, Silverliners, and welcome to this week's episode of The Lunch Ladies. I'm Liz Coyne, host and managing editor here at Silver Linings, and I'm with my co-host and executive editor, Diana Gubert. Diana, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm still here. I'm still kicking. Awesome. All right, so we have a lot of news to talk to this week, and I want to get right into it. We're going to go ahead and skip our appetizer today because we're really getting low on food-related cloud news. If you're out there and you work in the food industry, please send us your cloud news because we're running out. And it's really fun to talk about Wendy's and Taco Bell and all those folks moving to the cloud. So send us your news stories. We need some. All right, let's get straight into the main course because we have a lot of stuff to talk about, as I said before including announcing the finalists for our first ever Cloud Innovation Awards. I know, so exciting. But before I get to that, I am also super excited about something else, which is that Diana talked to Will Granis, Cloud CTO, this week, and her interview went live Thursday on the site, and it's a great interview. So I wanted to talk with Diana about her interview with Will, and we can talk a little bit about his comments and thoughts on AI later on in the show. But first off, Diana, tell me about that interview with Will and how did it go? Yeah, I'm actually really pleased that I got to speak with him for anybody who missed it. Will Granis is the CTO of Google Cloud. This interview had actually been a couple months in the making, as you can imagine. He's pretty busy, but I I think I was also shocked by the fact that he's just a really cool dude really laid back, super nice. He was telling me about his childhood and how he came from a single parent household and how they struggled a bit when he was young. Fun fact, he grew up playing ice hockey, even though he was a kid who grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. I thought that was a little bit fun and weird. He told me that was because his mom, I think, came from Minnesota. So he said there was pretty much no hope even though he did try other sports like baseball and stuff. But yeah, really interesting career path. Started in the military, jumped from the military to working for a small company, then worked for a big company, Boeing, and then actually started his own, which later got bought. And uh, after his company got bought, it was really interesting because the company he ended up working for was where he first encountered Google's BigQuery. And he's told me that is the technology that made him want to get to Google. That was the thing he pointed to as, I have to get there. Because he said that when he experienced what BigQuery could do, it convinced him that they were working on the future of analytics and he really wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, really cool guy, really fun interview. Learned a whole lot, actually. Yeah, I would say this article, for me, I learned a lot from the article and from him I also found his part about growing up and him telling his personal story to be really heartfelt and interesting because I feel like you and I have been working in the telco industry and the tech industry and the cloud industry for so long that it's rare that people tell their personal stories like that. And I thought that was really refreshing. And I also loved how he reached back out to you and wanted you to actually include all of his mentors And especially his general, Brad Becker, who taught him to lead from the front. He named specific people that have had such a big impact on his life. And I just thought it was just such a a wonderful little side note. Yeah. And I hope it, it came across in the story. But one of the things he kept repeatedly stressing throughout the interview was that the way he grew up 
and the way his mother worked really hard to make sure that the kids, he said he has a brother and a sister, that the kids didn't feel that. He said it really instilled in him a desire to give back, to serve others. And so in all of the endeavors he's undertaken, he was saying he wants to change people's lives for the better. So that kind of gives me hope as a jaded technology journalist. We write about these multi-billion dollar corporations all the time. And yes, I'm sure there are many times that business interests will trump what's best for people. But it gave me hope to know that someone who seemed so sincere and with such a strong desire to serve people is helping lead the technology charge behind some of the biggest things that are out there. Absolutely. Speaking of the biggest things that are out there, you talk with him a lot about AI and his thoughts on AI. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So one of the things that came out of the interview was some of his thoughts about AI and the hype surrounding it. And you know what, Liz, why don't I just let him tell you what he thinks about AI and hype? Well, the industry's hurdle challenge and necessary proof is demonstrating how AI can be very pragmatic and practical for a range of use cases that are most important to the organization that is you know, seeking help from AI. And so the more, the more we can reduce the hype and the more we can show these very pragmatic examples that we talked about, whether you're a retailer or you're in you know, customer service, you're in marketing, you're in healthcare, the more we can show examples of pragmatic, practical uses of AI, the more people will feel emboldened to actually go and start their own journey. And that's when the fly will really start. You know, that clip is so interesting, Diana. I, and I have to say, I'm totally in agreement with him on the pragmatic uses for AI, kickstarting the flywheel. Right now, AI is so new. We've only really been in this insane hype around AI since, what was it, February last year when chat GPT really took over the world. It's so new and so hard to even imagine how the technology will impact our work, the network, the cloud, enterprise customers, and more that I totally agree that with him that once the pragmatic uses are out there and people can see the benefits that it's really going to take off. Yeah, for sure. And one of the other cool things he was talking about was how he's looking forward to the time when AI really moves from being a novelty to when it really influences industries that impact citizens, right? So when it gets into government applications, when it gets into healthcare a little bit more. So for instance, in healthcare, one of the things he said was it could be used for auto charting and note taking and all that other paperwork that doctors currently have to deal with to make sure that they can have more time with patients and maybe help yield better outcomes for patients. And again, that just circles back to what he was saying about a desire to serve and, and deliver better lives and better outcomes for people. And yeah, he's looking forward to that part of AI. But there was one more thing he had to say about AI, right? And we all know on this podcast about AI hallucinations and the dangers that those can bring. Here's what he had to say about AI grounding. AI grounding is so important because it provides a high accuracy, facts-driven complement to what generative AI is creating in terms of content. and. Where I see it going in the future is as your as companies are building models, as they're training models, as they're tuning models, 
Um, and even sometimes without even touching the model itself, just providing a secondary source of information and checking the content that's being generated, it will happen much more fluidly and companies and organizations will be able to use their own data, their most valuable resource to ground uh, these models and their output, which really provides the best of what you know, Google and tech can provide with the best of what these companies have in terms of knowledge, expertise, and data. Just really briefly before I let you chime in, Liz, AI grounding, it's the concept of making sure that the responses or the outputs that come out of an AI are actually based in fact and not just made up information because AI is based on algorithms. So if you input the wrong information enough, it'll come out as the truth. And sometimes AI can even just make up its own things. So yeah, Google Cloud talked about grounding at Google Cloud Next and how they're going to tie it to company data. But yeah, I thought that was really cool. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think it's something that probably is right now holding people back from wanting to start using AI Mm. in their business because of hallucinations and because of the fear of AI just making things up. So the fact that Google's working on this, it seems like Will is knows what he's talking about. So I, <laughs> I feel like it's not going to be long until we're going to be very cool with AI and AI will be grounded. Yeah, you have to imagine AWS and Microsoft are also working on yeah, grounding. Absolutely. Too. Let's move on to our second bit of news, which covers the stories that came out of KubeCon North America this week. I have been intending to go, but as life happened, and I didn't make it to the show as planned, but we did have boots on the ground. Our very own Stephen Von Nichols was there. And of course, the show included plenty of talk about AI, automation, and the rest. But our stories this week focused on the dynamic resource allocation capabilities of Kubernetes, which being KubeCon, a lot of talk about Kubernetes there, and Red Hat's launch of its new edge platform for a large device networks. Diana, what did you make of this news? Well, I thought the news that Stephen wrote about in terms of Kubernetes dynamic resource allocation was interesting, in part because of my background in wireless. So in wireless networks, they've been talking about that sort of thing for quite a while. So to hear it coming to the cloud realm via Kubernetes was really interesting. And basically, if you're not aware, the idea of dynamic resource allocation is that It's a flexible way for jobs to call for resources, and it can adapt based on whatever the job is. So that way you don't set it and forget it. It's always looking at what you're doing, and then you can dynamically request and assign resources. So Mm -hmm. I think that's really cool. Also, since we're talking about energy efficiency and sustainability, I see potential there, depending on how it's used and applied and deployed, to cut down on wasting resources. What do you think, Liz? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. If it's, you, you can also, the same sort of dynamic resource allocation is common in the telecom world too, with being able to turn networks up and down based on capacity, being able to turn bandwidth up and down based on capacity. But it totally makes sense uh, in the cloud world for, this, for the same thing to happen. I'm sure it already has to be happening, but- um, You would think. I know. Um, I guess we'll have to talk with Steven about this, maybe. Yeah. It's okay to say that we don't know enough to tell you all about it. So we'll do digging and then we'll come back to you guys. We promise. I think so. Maybe we'll bring Steven in to to upskill us. The other thing is coming out of KubeCon is a really great slideshow with some good pictures. Who doesn't like to look at pictures of the show? And there were puppies on the show floor. So somebody must have taken our idea. And I believe (laughs) 
I have to go back and look at my email, but I swear somebody wrote to me after our episode where we said puppies should be on the show floor. And they said, they listened to our show. They thought it was a great idea and they were going to steal it. So now I have to go back and look at my email because I think it might've been somebody at Linux Foundation. Liz, I know. Liz, Liz we're treaders. No, for sure. I'll come back next week and report back. But I have a feeling that they might've done, done that because of our recommendations. So all right, before we get uh, carried away and start talking about puppies again, I want to move on to our dessert, which is basically just a batch of big news for some of the companies who entered our Cloud Innovation Awards. We've got finalists. So I'm going to kick off by listing the finalists in our Best Cloud Sustainability Initiative, and then Diana and I will alternate uh, the categories after that. But right now, the finalists in our Best Cloud Sustainability Initiative are Cisco Systems for their Cisco UCS X Series Modular System. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> I'm very tongue twistery. Iron Mountain Data Centers for their 24-7 carbon-free energy and VMware's Telco Sustainability Framework. That's right. And we also have finalists in the Best Cloud Artificial Intelligence Solution category. Woo! We've got Dynatrace's Davis AI. We have Enterprise Web's Telco Grade Generative AI. We also have Nutanix GPT in a box. We also have, as our fourth finalist, VMware Network Scorecard RF. Woohoo! And now we're over to the best cloud automation solution. We've got Console Connect Cloud Router, IBM Hybrid Cloud Mesh, Itantial Automation Platform, and Microsoft. Azure Operator Service Manager. And the four finalists in the best cloud-native 5G solution category are Blue Planet. Hello, a division of Sienna with their 5G end-to-end network slicing automation solution, Intel's fourth-gen Intel Xenon scalable processor with VRAN Boost, Marvell's Octeon 10 Fusion, say that 10 times fast, and Samsung Network's VRAN 3.0. And now over to the best cloud data center solution finalists, Amdocs for the Amdocs executable cloud native blueprints in a box, DriveNet's network cloud AI, Marvell's Marvell Nova 1.6 terabits, PAM4 electro optics platform, and Vertiv for the Vertiv Liebert XDU. And for the best cloud networking solution, public, private, or hybrid, we've got Aviatrix, CloudBrink with its CloudBrink service, Ericsson with the cloud-native infrastructure, F5's distributed cloud services, and Microsoft's Azure Operator Nexus. And now over to our top cloud changemakers. We've got 10 of them. I'm going to read five and Diana will read the last five. John Abramson, Chief Product and Digital Officer at Deutsche Telekom. Andrew Coward, General Manager of Software-Defined Networking at IBM. Ulf Edvalson, President of Technology at T-Mobile. Will Granis, CTO Google Cloud. Scott Guthrie, Executive Vice President Cloud and AI Group at Microsoft Azure. We've also got Michael Intrader, who is CEO at CoreWeave. Michael Kagan, who is CTO at NVIDIA. Richard Moulds, who is GM for Quantum Computing Service, Amazon Bracket, over at AWS. 
Chris Nicholas, who is SVP of Cloud Solutions Group at Trace3, and rounding out the 10, Chris Sambar, who is president of Network AT&T. Congrats, you guys. Congrats to all the finalists. Liz, you know what I learned from that? What? I learned that, listen, companies, name your stuff easier names, if only for sad podcast hosts like us. Please have mercy. (laughs) Have mercy on us poor hosts. All right. So the big news is that winners will be announced at our inaugural Cloud Executive Summit in Sonoma, California, uh, December 6th or 7th. Registration for the summit is open, so go to tinyurl.com slash cloudsummitregister to get your pass. If you're listening to this podcast, you get a 50% discount off your pass if you use the code LIZ50, and we really want to see you there. Diana and I will be doing a live podcast at the event, so you'll, and we might, as the lunch ladies, even be serving you your mashed potatoes. On day two, <laughs> wearing hair nuts and all in the cafeteria line. Oh, gosh. We'll oh, yeah. <laughs> skip the hair nuts. I think we should. Um, but maybe we'll get some cute aprons. Yeah. Cute aprons are a go. Okay. All right. So I think that's all for now, folks. So over to you, Diana, for the credits. This podcast is written and hosted by Elizabeth Coyne and Diana Guvertz. It is edited and produced by Matt Rickman. Special thanks to today's guest, Google Cloud CTO, Will Granis. That's all we've got, guys. We can't wait to see you next week. See you next week on The Lunch Ladies.